With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. is about to begin hey 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 come on in welcome back to your wednesday buckeye talk doug lamarie Nathan barrett stephen means we asked a lot of questions of ryan day and kevin wilson on tuesday offense heavy and i want to start off by asking if we were all asking the wrong question because i only asked about five questions related to this and maybe Maybe everything I was asking about was nonsensical and unimportant. We asked a lot about CJ Stroud and the run game. Why are we asking that? And I asked about a comparison to 2018 in a world where Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator, but that was in a world where Urban Meyer was still the head coach and they still were going to run the Urban Meyer version of this offense, which I asked Urban Meyer a lot of questions in 2018 about how weird it was to not have a heavy quarterback run in the offense. And he was like, got all squirmy. I was like, yeah, this is hard for me. It's very unusual for him that they had Dwayne Haskins and it took a long time for Dwayne Haskins to be any part of the run game. And even in the end, he still wasn't that much. So I asked Ryan Day if this is, could this be kind of like 2018 with CJ Stroud in the run game? He's like, yeah, kind of, I could see, you know, maybe. But why Nathan is this just not like nobody asks the Packers why Aaron Rodgers isn't part of the run game and nobody, right? Like if this is an NFL offense with an NFL quarterback who is a thrower, not a runner, quarterbacks don't run. And Ryan Day had a particularly a really revealing answer that we'll get to in a second. So why do we care? Is this a remnant? of a bunch of Ohio state writers who covered urban Meyer and think that the quarterback should run a little bit when actually Ryan day is like, what are you talking about? He's the quarterback. Why are you asking me these questions? He's not here to run. He's here to throw. Well, Aaron Rodgers isn't a great example because Aaron Rodgers actually is more mobile than people probably realize and does run the ball a decent amount. Well, but, certainly but, more than- I, I, let me, I'm going to throw another caveat. Let me throw another caveat in right now. I actually, so if he's going to scramble and run a little bit, he's got to take those yards when he's there. I actually, I'm more interested in sort of like the called quarterback run game. If it's yeah. like, listen, listen, man, hey, 
you've got to take it when it's there. Take it when it's there. I, I, I think some of that is true. I think he probably had a play or two against Nebraska where he could have just run. And you want you want a young quarterback to keep his eyes downfield. I think he may be over adjusting to that and keeping his eyes downfield so well that he's not taking the 10 yards that might be right there in front of him. So my main point is the, the called quarterback run game, which is not part of anybody's plan in the NFL if you're not Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson, right? So why, why does anybody think that they should do it here, including me? Why do I think that? Why did I ask five questions about it on Tuesday? Well, I, we, we talked about this, I thought, after the game on, on Saturday, just as sort of, and we talked about it again on Madness, it's just sort of like a counterbalance to what else you're doing in the run game, right? It keeps teams honest in a way that if you're just giving the ball to Trayvon Henderson over and over again, you don't so, necessarily. So I'm going to interrupt you again. But why, But if this is an NFL offense, why are we asking that? Because it's not like NFL offenses play that way. They don't do that. It's because they don't run the quarterback. It's because you're used to Urban Meyer quarterbacks running. That's the answer to the question. Because is that they it? didn't? Is that the only that is reason? It because even Justin Fields, they didn't design a lot of run plays for him. He just was more willing to take off than Dwayne and CJ are, and so he would go get those yards. So you thought, oh, they run the quarterback a lot. No, he didn't. They didn't design a lot of runs for him. It was just you know. So yeah, it's they, literally just because we're used to we're used to an era where quarterbacks were a part of the run offense. Not only was Justin Fields maybe more willing to do that, Justin Fields was a different kind of athlete than either of these two of the guys we're talking about. For sure. Justin Fields is going to go to the combine as he did and run a 4-4 or whatever he ran. And these guys ain't doing that. The Haskins, I don't even know if he ran the 40 at the combine. Probably been a good idea if he didn't. I don't know if CJ Stroud ever will because I don't think there'll really be a point. Um, or maybe there would be. Maybe surprisingly be faster than people would think. But you know what I'm saying? Like this. So it's it's. I think it's all about just what a, a particular quarterback's strengths are and this this is not his strength it's like again as i said the other day we were talking about it even if what i was saying was true that maybe you could mix it in a mortar wrinkle uh, as an extra wrinkle that's still you're almost playing into what defenses would want you to do at that point cj stroud with the ball in his hands not cocked to throw a pass is exactly where defenses want him to be yeah so i do think i mean they did they we talked a lot about it with Justin. And part of the issue with Justin is Justin was a threat almost by the very nature of his being Yes, that he was so athletic and a great combination of size and speed that you almost thought he was a threat to run, even when he wasn't really a threat to run. Cause it's like, well, mm-hmm. if he ever, if he decides to get going, we might be in trouble here. So you almost got the threat without really having to do it. And we had a lot of conversations about, Will they run Justin Moore? And Ryan Day really didn't want to. But every now and then, I don't think they something. If you really needed something, you could do it, right? That um, I guess if he ran, it was more scrambling. But if you really needed two yards, you could run a QB power with him or yeah. his zone yeah. read with, with Justin and JK. And like it could, it could yeah, bail they, you out at times, yeah. right? It was, yeah, they would do it. It's it, like if they needed to do it on a third and one where you're trying to just treat a drive alive. And you don't really want to do a QB sneak again. Yeah, you could do it then. Just like we saw on Saturday, they did it with CJ. So, yes, it's an option. It's just not an option the way it was with Urban, where you knew on third and one, you know what's coming. It's that yeah. good old QB power. Here we go. So, and, and I think the other thing that, just real quick, is why, why are we talking about it now? It's because when the run game clogs up after so many weeks, and clogs up, I'm saying kind of in air quotes. It's all relative. But after it doesn't, blow people off the field the way it did for a month. You just start looking for reasons why. And you it doesn't make sense to say, 
well, maybe Trevor Harris just isn't that good. Maybe this offensive line just isn't that good. I think you sometimes grasp for other reasons. I think that's why it's coming up too. Well, I don't think it's, I mean, I think we could say the run game was, was, well, it was clogged up enough against Nebraska for them to sort of not do it that much, which was like another weird kind of debate. We're, we're sort of doing a third podcast about this and we'll move on to some other things, but we got information from Ryan day and, and Kevin Wilson about it. But if you're talking about a run game, I don't know. Travion was 21 for 92. I mean, that's basically the run game. The tailbacks average, the tailbacks average like 4.3 per carry. That's okay, but it's not, it's not what you're used to. Right. So yeah, not for really any college offense is that unless you're like some kind of SEC two supreme defense defenses going head to head, you don't really like to be playing in the fours at the college game, I would say. Yeah. The problem is we haven't seen normal yet. We've seen eight point eight yards per carry and now we're seeing this. So we haven't seen them get to, you know, because JK was six point one, and that's really good. It broke a record. So that's we need to see them kind of hit the mean here a little bit and just be normal and not really, really crazy awesome or what they are right now. So the thing that I will defend in all of this, and and I think we lose, you can lose sight of why we're asking questions about this after a win. And Ryan Day sort of simultaneously agreed and gets it why, hey, like, hey, you didn't look that great. You won, but you don't look that great. He was like, we're the only sport where how you win matters. And it's like, yeah, no, you are, which is why we ask about it. If we get to a world where the Big Ten champ is an automatic, automatically gets in the playoff, this will lessen. But here's my point. It's not really about style points. It's about the thing you did. Is it going to make you lose eventually points? So that's what the discussion is. It's not, hey, you didn't look great against Nebraska. It's if you play that way. Are you going to lose to Purdue, Michigan, or Michigan State if you don't get better? That's what it's about, right? It's not just perception. It's it's forward-thinking reality. But let me I, – I have a little comparison here. All right, I'm going to write down these numbers. The numbers are 32.7 and 36.6, okay? 32.7 and 36.6. And now I'm going to write down – 35.2 and 33.0. Okay. First two numbers were the average number of passing attempts and rushing attempts for Alabama last year. 32.7 passing, 36.6 running. Second two numbers were average rushing attempts and passing, passing attempts and rushing attempts for Ohio State this year. 35.2 passing, 33.0 running. So like in the same range. And anybody want to guess how many yards Mac Brown, not Mac Brown, Mac Jones ran for last year, officially statistically as Oklahoma as uh, Alabama's quarterback. Mac it's Jones like, in in 13 games. It's like 47. It's 14 yards in 13 games was his net, I think. So I don't know how much time they spent at Alabama asking about if Mac Jones should be involved in the run game or not. So here we are. So are we just, did we just waste is in the end? Did we waste 40% of that news conference by asking well, about things that aren't the point? I guess, let me bring this. Uh, so on the broadcast, they were talking about one of the other points you brought up about how at times 
there were plays that Nebraska was able to make because they didn't have to respect C.J. Stroud as a runner. There was one but, play in particular where they mentioned that, like where right. Joel mentioned that. I think yeah. it's when the backside linebacker came in and like right. tackled Trevion around the knees. Right, right. And so I guess if, if, if there's any truth to that, if, that's, if that rings true to people, I think it's just a matter of are you compensating for that in other ways with your offense? Are you compensating with, in other ways on those play calls? When you know that you know another team with Justin Fields, with some other mobile quarterback, with Adrian Martinez, I suppose, you could do this with this play. But we want to run the same play, but we have to do it this way to compensate for the fact that the other team doesn't have to respect that there's going to be that the quarterback might keep the ball. So th- this is I asked Ryan Day specifically about this because I was wondering about that. So the idea is, I think if your quarterback's a run threat, that backside end or linebacker right is less apt to crash down on the running back because you freeze him with the read part of it and you read him. And if he crashes down on the running back, the quarterback keeps it and goes wide. Or if he goes with the quarterback, he handed off inside. Sometimes it's reversed. So if you're doing that read action, right, but it's for an RPO, it's for the quarterback. If he doesn't give it, it's to pass. My question was, should the pass hold the end the same way? If you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm crashing down. If I'm crashing down on the running back or the quarterback's going to throw it, am I not as worried about the, the hesitance that you might create by a quarterback run threat? Do you create that same hesitance in an end or an outside linebacker by the quarterback throwing? Or does it have to be a run threat that I'm going to run outside as you crash down as opposed to, you're crashing down, but I'm not giving. I'm just throwing real quick. So actually, what are you getting burned by crashing down? Well, all I'm going to do is get out of my hands and throw it to a to a guy on a slant. And and, and there's no downside to you about crashing down on the running back. Right? If do what guys understand like why? Yeah. Sort of what I'm trying to. And Ryan Day was like, no. He was like, no. You don't really need that quarterback run threat to try to hold the end there or anything. That's that's you don't have to do that. So if I'm understanding this correctly, I think it might depend on how good you think your DBs are at getting off blocks for that. Some of that mindset, because if he's just going to crash anyway and just give up the pass, if you know, you've got some, you know, cornerbacks or some safeties who can get off their blocks and stop a screen pass and make it a two yard gain instead of a 22 yard gain, then yeah, I might just crash every single time because then you're stopping both elements of it. You're stopping the run element of it and you're stopping the pass element of it. I think the hesitance for the defensive end comes in if, if a couple of times CJ pulls it and throws it. I don't know why I'm doing the motion, but I'm doing the motion. And then Garrett or Chris takes it 45 yards down the field. So now that defensive end has to be a little bit smarter with what he wants to crash because he can't put his defensive backs in that position to have to make an open field tackle. So well, I think that's he crash? where he's going to, because he's going to deflect the pass because he's going to sack the quarterback. Why can't he crash? That's my point. Like, what is he doing to the quarterback when the quarterback throws it? He's trying to prevent the throw. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the difference yeah. than trying to tackle the quarterback. So, but Ryan Day said it's fine. Ryan Day said it's fine. And listen, yeah. it's interesting. In 2018, they started running RPOs and it was like the linemen were like, we hate RPOs. And now Kevin Wilson's like, I mean, it's RPO. Everybody wants RPOs all over the place all the time. Right. The, the distance that RPOs have come in four years, it's, it's night and day. And it's, it, it went from a somewhat, 
not a rare concept, right? But it wasn't to necessarily Alabama every, winning a national title, running an RPO every, pretty much every other play. I mean, yeah, everybody that's runs what we've it. gotten. Everybody right. runs it all the time. And a lot of teams have quarterbacks who aren't run threats and they just run RPOs. So then I guess that's the world we're in. I guess that's the world we're in now, right? Because the thing that I thought that was really interesting that Ryan Day said was in recruiting, I tell our quarterbacks, we're not going to do that to you. We're not going to get you killed. We're not going to use you in the run game like that. We're not going to risk you. That's slight paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said, that he is recruiting to a lack of quarterback running. Not necessarily a not necessarily a lack, but it's just not on the top of their list. It's not even really on the list. It's a bonus, which is, you know, it's a bonus. It's an but extra Even if you thing can it, do it, we're not going to use you much. No. Even if you, like Justin. Justin could do it, but it wasn't a thing they, they didn't did do a lot. It, right. Which is why, like, when people it, – it's to the complaints of it, there's not another quarterback on this roster who is going to take off for them. That's just not the way they're doing it. They're all going to do the ex- – from that decision-making process – they're all going to do exactly what CJ does. They're going to get out, escape, keep themselves behind the line and find a way to make a throw down the field. Even Jaden Davis, who's like the top of their list of quarterback recruits, whose favorite player is Justin Fields. He is not Justin Fields level athleticism, but also I don't know who cares about that level of athleticism. It's only a thing when it's a thing, but most quarterbacks run in the four, six, four, seven range when they run 40 at the combine. And these players will tell you on this roster we don't really want CJ running. We like, we got us. We'll do all that stuff. He just needs to sit back there and throw the ball. So yeah, it's a bonus skill for if you have a guy like Justin who can take a broken play and turn it into a 20 yard gain on a scramble, that's fine. But we're not ever looking for that quarterback where their best asset is their legs. It's interesting because we've seen a shift with some of that college quarterback run game going to the NFL and And back in the old days, and I guess the Urban Meyer era is officially the old days at Ohio State now. Back in the old days, it's like Ohio State had running quarterbacks. And then a lot of their quarterbacks like didn't become NFL stars, right? Because sort of what they were Mm -hmm. doing at at Ohio State didn't translate to the NFL. And the types of quarterbacks that Ohio State was bringing in weren't necessarily NFL style quarterbacks. They were dual threat, run the ball, throw their ball quarterbacks. So now we're at a point where there's much more of that in the NFL than there used to be. It's not all over the place, everybody, but there are multiple quarterbacks in the NFL who have a great double skill set. And now at Ohio State, a place that had running quarterbacks all the time, they they are recruiting to the fact that they don't want their quarterbacks to run. So I understand if there is a disconnect uh, or or just that we're sort of not on the same wavelength a hundred percent with everything yet you know what i mean so but even but nathan like kevin wilson did say well we ran it a couple times right so it's like they ran an option where cj kept it and it was like just short actually i think they ran the option on the third down play that led i was on the first drive and he yeah. was just short of the of the first down. And then on fourth and one, they threw the pass record that was incomplete. So they ran option there. CJ kept it. They did zone read probably two other times. And so Kevin Wilson, Nathan, was sort of as much as it's like, why are we asking about it? Kevin Wilson kind of said, with the shoulder, we wanted to be careful. We didn't want to call that stuff. 
It's not what we do anyway, but he brought up the shoulder, CJ Stroud and the shoulder injury that they were even more careful because of that. But now kind of just to keep people honest, you might work it in a tiny bit, which would be kind of more than they've done it lately. But it did. If they did it maybe three times against Nebraska, we may be going from a world of like basically zero quarterback keeps in a zone read to maybe like three to five. And we brought it up on the pod the other day that there was the one he ran for a third down conversion too on a, on a drive that ended up, I think, crapping out for other reasons. If I remember correctly, very good but, keep like a six yard keep yeah. really good by him. Yeah. Like one of the best, I thought one of the best design plays that of from a run perspective that they ran that game. So I, I get the v- f- sense. I mean, you never, I, how much does the media questioning affect the way People are talking about the team, how much of this is coming from the fans. When you look at social media or whatever, our texters, I, f- I get the sense from a fan standpoint, it's more the why is he not taking scrambles that appear to be there. Don't you get that guy? You guys get that impression too, that that's the thing that they're more, that a fan is more concerned with right now than why aren't they designing more runs for CJ Stroud? I mean, I think, I, I think it's both. Yeah. Go ahead, Steven. I think it's a mixture of why is he not keeping it more often? And then, yeah, the scramble thing, which is like easily explainable some of the times. You know, it's as easy as there's a linebacker staring at him, and since he's not Justin Fields and doesn't want to borderline four three forty, he's probably not going to beat that linebacker to the edge and get the necessary yard, so it's not worth him running. I thought there were multiple times when I rewatched the Nebraska game where that situation comes up. He's running parallel to the line of scrimmage. There's a linebacker or a corner or a safety or whoever following him mirroring him um, in, a, in a horizontal pattern. And I think CJ Stroud does the math and he's like, I'm no faster than that guy, possibly slower. And I've got the shoulder and I can just throw this ball away. Cause I've still got the three best, three of the best receivers in college football to throw to on the next play, or we'll just do it again. Uh, we'll punt it away and do it again. Like, I think that's where the math is on that. I, I think people should probably back off that a little bit. Cause I don't think that's a problem in this offense that he's not, running wild. I don't think that's what he's designed to do. I don't think that's necessarily the smartest thing for this offense. And one thing before you go, Doug, since you brought up Mac Jones, I'm going to bring up Bryce Young because I asked this on Twitter and I got some pushback. Of, that's because he takes off and he takes those yards. Bryce Young has 18 yards this year rushing. He does same thing. It's the math is not there. It's not worth me doing it. I'm going to only bring up Bryce Young because that's who he's going to be compared to the rest of his career. And quite yeah. frankly, he's the only other quarterback who's like fighting him for the Heisman right now. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I don't think CJ helped his Heisman case against him. He did. I'm, I'm saying right, right. But there's not like, you know what I mean? There's not, with, it's him and CJ or it's going to be Kenneth Walker. With, with the way, with the way uh, that DJ Uyunglele has played this year, we are maybe on a path where CJ and Bryce are going to be a lot like Justin yeah. and Trevor that there might be multi-years where we it's a, it's the same recruiting class right next to each other, practically next to each other in the rankings. They may mm-hmm. even wind up facing each other in the postseason. right? We, we may be on a, a Bryce and CJ path. I definitely agree with yeah. that. I did write this. What I wrote down, again, it's probably not hundred percent accurate, but close. I tell them in recruiting, we aren't going to run you into the ground and get you hurt. We're not going to put guys at risk. That's Ryan Day recruiting, recruiting the number one quarterback in the country in a news conference by telling them that we're not going to run you. So um, I don't know. And again, the only reason this comes up is because they only scored 26 points against Nebraska. So 
you know, score enough points against Nebraska that Nebraska doesn't have the ball in the final seven minutes with a chance to go on a go-ahead touchdown drive, and nobody cares how you get your yards or your points. I also am like much, much less interested in yardage totals for Ohio State at this point. It's like, honestly, like scoreboard is really like sort of because there's they're so dangerous and explosive that there's a way that even Ryan Day was sort of talking about the idea of a lot of the inside throws. What he said on Tuesday is like a lot of the inside throws that Jackson Smith and Jigbo worked on Saturday is because like, that's sort of what was there. And like, that's not a, that's not, not coincidental. That's what Nebraska defensively wanted to give up because they didn't want to get beat deep and they didn't want to give up deep stuff on the edges. So they gave up stuff in the middle of the field and tried to make a March. And again, they only had one real touchdown drive um, other than that 75 yarder. So, okay. I just, I just thought um, I would comment on the fact that I wasted every question I asked you. Because what would I even write now? I don't think they're wasted, though. I think think we're all thinking through this stuff, and I think those questions help illuminate what you're thinking. I mean, you you get information, and then you start to get a new perspective on things. I just think this fan base has gone to the other side of this. We had been – they had been kind of waiting so long – for the NFL style quarterback that would throw it down the field. They got so sick of the QB power on third and one with JT Barrett. And then they got that with Dwayne. And now we're into it. We're deep into it. We're three years into it. And we're kind of sick of this now. It's like, yo, give us the running quarterback again. And so, you know, it's just, you know, you always want the thing that you don't have going on right now. And you mostly want 45 points. So if you don't get 45 points, then you say, well, why didn't you score 45 points? And I don't mean that facetiously. Yeah. I mean that like legitimately that, that, you know, this is with all this talent and it's like, why didn't you put more points on the board? Maybe you should be something doing something a little differently than what you're doing right now. Yeah. They don't want to run in quarterback. They don't want Adrian Martinez. No, no. But I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm trying to th- like, like Sam Howell's running all over the place. Right. Like Sam Howell at times at North Carolina is like killing people with his legs and Matt Corral at Ole Miss. I mean, those are two NFL guys, Heisman outside Heisman candidates, but I think high NFL guys who are hurting people with their legs. And I don't know how much they're doing called run stuff, but when the opportunity is there, they take it. And I think some of this is CJ working it out too. Right. I mean, there, there are times um, and he's done it at times, but he may be, and I'm, I bet you he runs more on Saturday. I bet you he does. So it goes from, you know, one or two times to five or seven times. And, and, and that might be enough to just get somebody to back off a little bit. But I think Ohio state knows it's playing a defensive end on Saturday that it has to freeze. Yeah. And you can do that. I mean, like, yeah, you can run a lot of bootlegs, and they do. They let they like to roll them out of the pocket, play action, naked boot, man. There's a lot of stuff there that that you can you can keep guys from crashing down without putting your quarterback at risk by having him hold the ball and getting tackled. So, but I do think there's probably some stuff in there that they need to do a little bit. So I do because the other part of it is you've got to keep, and it's not every time, but it's enough times now you've got to keep guys off of t- Trayvon Henderson's ankles in the backfield like just 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 make sure someone's not tackling him as he's getting the handoff and then probably you have a decent chance of something good happening 
And so you've either got to make sure you get that blocking assignment right and make that block, or you've got to do something to make that defender hesitate because there've been enough times the last two weeks where you haven't done that as if you're Ohio state and you've sort of paid the price for that. And it is happening. It happened at least a couple of times in the red zone. So that's where I think a lot of that, a lot of those questions come from. All right. We'll take a quick break here on Buckeye talk and we'll be right back to talk more about what we learned on Tuesday from Ryan Dane, Kevin Wilson. Doug, Nathan, Stephen, back with you. 614-350-3315 is how you get the text subscriptions. I sent some photos out on the text subscription on Tuesday. Um, I did that whole thing right before the breakup. Vacation. Oh, I would definitely. If I could send Disney photo of the day for 365 days, just it would be all with me and Goofy. Just Doug standing with Goofy. Stick with us through the off-season. Disney picture of the day coming soon. No more Ohio State information. Yeah. Yeah. Which one's Doug? No more Ohio State information. Just Doug vacation picks in June, July, and August. Um, I was writing stuff down while it was happening, but I said, like, we'll come back and talk about more. I can't remember what else was said. I was so obsessed with like all the run game stuff because it did get asked like a lot of different ways. What's the second most interesting thing that we talked about, Nathan? Well, I mean, I- one of the questions I wanted to ask immediately was just what's, you know, we don't know if Ohio State will ever have to play its third quarterback this year, Mm. but a couple weeks ago, it was, it was our, our, it was our every three weeks update on Quinn. That's what it was. And let's be honest, like these games could all be very competitive from here on in and Ohio State has to win them and potentially has to win them with some emphasis. So I don't know if you're going to get a third quarterback into a game going forward against the defenses they have to play, but Worth the question. He was so insistent a couple weeks ago that Quinn Ewers should not be stepping onto a football field after a whistle is blown. And now he's your third string quarterback. Like there's one less one less barrier between him getting into a game. And all you need is whatever Dewan Jones had last week to be afflicting your quarterback room Saturday morning against Purdue. And all of a sudden you need your third string quarterback. So now all of a sudden, oh, he looks a whole lot better. I mean, really since the bye week, I think he's come along and we're starting to see good things. He still really like looks more comfortable around the facility or whatever. Like um, it makes me think that he was just wandering around like in a, with a blindfold on for the first month he was here or something and just bumping into walls and, and falling off of curbs. But um, I don't know. I thought, I thought that was interesting. I wanted, it to, I wanted to get Ryan Day to say like, so if could you put him into a game now? And it seems like he's like – wouldn't think it's a disaster now. It's like on a scale of one to 10 for how much he would want to do it. It's at like a two and a half. So are you saying Ryan Day was lying about how ready he was beforehand, or is he hyping him up now because now he's the third string quarterback? Um, It's probably more the latter than the former. I still have no trouble believing he was not ready to go into a college football game. Okay. Well, we are, we are talking about the program that proudly is example A of sometimes you need your third string quarterback. Oh, and who won't and let you forget that? They Ryan won't. Day. Yeah, I'm so, so sick of them bringing that up. I'm, I, I hate that it happened to this team because they're never going to let it go, ever. And now your third string quarterback is a guy who was the number one recruit in his class and reclassified to make a million dollars in NIL and is the number one recruit in the country and came from Texas. He's now Cardale Jones. Quinn Ewers is Cardale Jones. So, like, I don't know. You know, he was four. Now he's three. So what he could get to two and one if, you know, uh, one well, alien spaceship, one alien spaceship, two tractor beams 
and Quinn Ewers as your starting quarterback. He's not quite Cardell Jones because by this point in the season, Cardell Jones was the backup. That's correct. There's only one spot keeping him. So again, it's it's three spots down, and I, I, as long as nothing like the Dewan Jones situation springs up and affects both of them, you I don't know if they're going to get a third quarterback into a game again this season. He really doesn't want to have to put Quinn Ewers out there. Like no, really, no. he no. like no, not even even if he was 100 percent ready to go. I don't know if he wants to deal with that right now. Then he shouldn't have recruited him. Yeah. Like, what does well, he no. not want to deal with? I mean, to, well, be, well, to be fair, to be fair, you can't bank on some NIL is going to take place in July and then somebody's going to throw a million dollars at Quinn to leave school early. That they could, you can't plan for that stuff. Plan plan was not for him to be here this fall. Yeah. So I uh I am glad that we don't talk about NIL anymore. Like somebody asked an NIL question today. And asked it of Kevin Wilson. And Kevin Wilson's like, dude, I'm an assistant coach. I don't care about any of that stuff. But it is what it is, which is great. Again, like great. Great for every athlete that can make outside money. Awesome. But it is not like a primary part of what anybody is doing here. Right. So that was kind of. Uh, it's only a conversation at this point because the two people who are probably benefiting the most from it nationally suck. And that's DJ and, and Spencer Rattler. But it's like, oh, yeah, it's like other than that, it's like, all right, every so often they might tweet something and then they go to practice. Yeah. No, we're no one's doing any more stories about Johnny's barbecue. It gave no. all the offensive linemen a rack of ribs. We love our team, said Johnny's Barbecue, getting 10 times more exposure than the $29 worth of free ribs they gave to eight offensive linemen. I'm glad we are out of that world. Um, all right, what else? So we, we, we did find it. I thought it was kind of interesting. Kevin Wilson especially. Kevin Wilson, once Kevin Wilson gets warmed up, if you got Kevin Wilson in the press conference for two hours uninterrupted, unimpeded i think in the last 20 minutes of that news conference he would have the playbook up on a powerpoint and be taking you through every play they have and explaining when they're going to use it how they run it how they practice it how they came up with it which which oklahoma play in 2004 they patterned it after how many times they've used it this year he just wants to talk about football and tell you things. And he was talking today about everybody used to play press man. And then all you have to do, you run some, throw some slants, throw some deep shots, whatever you can beat press man. Now everybody's playing loose man. So now you've got to attack it a different way. And it was like, and thank you, Kevin. And I was like, how do you attack loose man? Like it was like, can you just stay and do 25 minutes on the changes in man coverage in college football? Over the last four years, Nathan, like I, but the, I, you, you got to love Kevin Wilson, football evangelist. He loves to break it down, but he also put it on the offensive line today a little bit. And he's not the offensive line coach, but he's been an offensive line coach. And we can only ask so many questions about the tight ends because he only has like three guys in his room. So he talks about other things because he gets asked about other things. He, he sort of did not shy away from some of the breakdowns on this offensive line and sort of how it screwed stuff up. Yeah, I mean, he said it needs to be better um, and that the, the last two teams have done enough with, with 
he, I thought he did a good breakdown. I want to go back and listen to it again because Kevin talks pretty fast sometimes. But just about talking about the 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 clash between when they want to go lateral and when the defense goes lateral, and sometimes is that they've picked that you know they've schemed it right or that they they did something wrong. So I think there's some interesting stuff there. We have it up on our YouTube channel if people want to go. Oh, right, Stephen, that one's up there too, right? Yeah. Yeah, we you can go listen to his whole breakdown of everything he was talking about, but 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 yeah, at the end of the day, that they, they've got to be that the the offensive line isn't displacing enough, and that the offensive line needs to exert itself more. He used the word aggressive a lot when talking about play calling, um, and uh, basically it was we can't really be as aggressive as we want to be because the offensive line is not doing its job, and he brought up. Um, the well, they're banned anyway. About. The quarterback, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're doing I mean, it. Yeah, anyway. they're doing it anyway. Yes, but um, <laughs> he brought up the first play where they tried to go deep to Chris Olave, and Chris Olave is coming from right to the left side of the field, and he's basically just wide open, hanging out by himself. But because the protection isn't what it needs to be, CJ has to roll out left, roll out right because he's being chased down by a defensive end, and now the throw can't be there. And CJ didn't help the matters by trying to make the throw that he ended up making. But plays like that, or yes, the play where he got a uh, um, they had this um, strip sack, where if CJ has enough time to stay in that pocket, once again, Chris Olave is wide open, and they feel like they have a touchdown. But because he has to roll out of the pocket because the protection is not there, things get made worse with CJ trying to do too much, and it ends up being a trip sack, and it almost ends up being a turnover. So it's a combination of the play calling hasn't been great, but then also when they have tried to dial up some of these shots to, to Chris Olave, especially the protection is not holding up in a way that allows the play to execute itself. I mean, both of those examples were not just the pocket closing quicker than they wanted or whatever it's like literally a guy breaks through the line and he's coming to either chase him or engage him like they, yeah. that's where the breakdown was. it wasn't just that like oh we didn't quite give him enough time and he had to move his feet it's like no man he's like running to not get sacked and then he did get sacked and mm-hmm. and the strip from i will say the, the more i thought about this both he and ryan day talked about like well we had the play we wanted there on that pass they ended up with a strip sack i'm like okay right but that's part of the math there right like you because that's what could happen, but what, what could also happen is things could go wrong and you could get sacked or you could throw an intercept. Like oh, those things, that's why it's maybe not a good play to call there. Ryan no. Day and Kevin Wilson are taking a lot of the blame off of themselves when things go wrong. And they've been doing it all, especially Ryan Day. He's done it a lot this year where it's if somebody else does their job right, I can do my job when it's all your job because you're the head coach. You are getting very accusatory in your older age now, Stephen. Stephen I know. is just like Ryan Day sucks at play calling. I don't, and it's like okay, like this I, is a that's a standard coaching ego thing. I remember one time a, a women's basketball coach saying something after a loss, saying something like, "Well, I can't go out there and play for them," or something like that. <laughs> like, okay, but like you can train them and like tell them what they're supposed to be doing out there. You I'm just saying, is there man. any blame in this? Yeah, I'm just saying, man, at some point you got to stop with the whole if somebody doesn't do their job right, I can't do my job right, which I mean, yes, it's football. All 11 people have to do their job the right way. But at the same time, dude, you're the head coach. Well, the idea of like, right, as long as every as as long as the 11 people on the field perfectly execute their job, that would have worked. I agree. It's not like that's not exactly what we're talking about here, because the thing is. You know where they usually execute exactly what you want them to do at Ohio State. You want to go coach at Vanderbilt? You know how often all 11 guys execute what you want to do? The, the complicated, high-level, 
passing play that takes time to develop. You know how often they execute that? Like once a year. So you end up running a bunch of bubble screens and slants because nobody on your team can block anybody. I think they might still be waiting for the first one, actually. Yeah, Vanderbilt's like, oh, did, <laughs> how many you, years did you find Vanderbilt one? <laughs> can you please show us the one? Is it on film? Could you send us a clip? And it's not so even I, just executed directly, but actually executed the right way and it work. So, I, so I mean, I, I do agree. They're, they're in a little bit of a weird spot with that, and we've kind of covered that. I, but, but also, Kevin Wilson had a quote that said, I don't know if it was a team meeting or an offensive meeting or whatever, but like that Ryan Day said to everybody something like, we all can and will do better, right? That again, I, I did think if you, Nathan, you were saying sort of that post game on Saturday was maybe more Ryan Day pushback on the play calling in it. And it felt like on second and third look after they got back to Columbus, they, they maybe do realize some things that they could adjust or, or try to attack Purdue. Um at least a little differently. One of the things that I like that I think we have fallen into and not, not fallen into, we have decided to do here is when we talk about something on a podcast. And then when we get a chance to talk to the people on the team about it, we ask them questions about the, the, the theories that we were discussing. Nathan, you asked Kevin Wilson about the idea of, Hey, like, Nicholas Petit-Frere, when Dewan Jones is out, he's going from left tackle back to right tackle. Why not just slide Paris Johnson out to tackle and keep Nick Petit-Frere on one side instead of making a move back and forth? What Kevin Wilson say? Well, and it was kind of a multi-part question because the first part of that question is, is Paris Johnson even practicing a tackle at all? And his answer was yes, but. And as I kind of theorized, someone would say once we asked him about it, that because of how late that came up, I mean, it's, it's coming up pregame. It's not like something they prepared for all week, as far as we know. It seems like it was a Saturday morning issue. Uh, that that influenced the decision that they made. They thought because Nicholas Petit-Frere had this long experience at right tackle, it's what he had played pretty much nothing but until this year, until they converted him to left tackle in the preseason this year, back to their full time, that they thought that that made more sense to move him to right tackle, put Thayer Munford at left tackle, and you just put Matt Jones in at left guard, keep the other two, the younger two guys the same, and that that would be an easier adjustment. But at the same time, he did admit that the hardest job that you're asking anybody to do there is Nicholas Petit-Frere, moving him from the left side to the right side. And he even brought up the fact that with Thayer Munford only moving the left tackle, it's like, well, he's already on the left side. You're just bumping him over one. So I don't right. think like, he... I know. Yes. Right. <laughs> I, exactly. I could have I followed up probably about six different ways. But it was actually my second question because I'd asked him. I had the first question for Kevin Wilson. I ended up asking him a question about Purdue's trick plays that has nothing to do with him as the offensive <laughs> coordinator or the special teams coach or the tight right. ends coach. Let's stop. Let's stop there for a second. What happened there? Is it you? Is it just that was the best person you had to ask about well, Purdue's trick plays? I, I had other questions I wanted to ask Ryan Day, and Kevin Wilson's been a head coach. Kevin Wilson is—I okay. um, think he's also been a special teams coordinator in the past, or he's been involved with special teams in the past. So I wanted his perspective on as a as a program, as a team. Like, what do you do the week that you're leading up to something where it's not like you can go and say, "Well, this is where they run the reverse flea flicker that they always run." This you you how do you prepare for the thing that 
you have never seen and maybe nobody except some nerd who's staying up watching random high school teams do trick plays on YouTube would have seen before. Because that's where the one they ran against Michigan State last week, that's where Jeff Brom said he got it. Like yeah. 12 years ago, just some high school team did it on YouTube. And they're like, hey, that looks cool. Let's do that. So that was why I asked him that. And actually, I think he gave a pretty insightful answer eventually. But I think it caught him off guard a little bit. I think he was coming in here expecting to talk about Mitch Rossi. And I'm like, hey, you know how Purdue runs a bunch of trick plays? Um, okay. But anyway, anyway, I, I, thought, there was, can, I thought there was a five percent. I thought there was a five percent chance that you brain farted and in the moment thought he coached defense. No, no, okay. there was there okay. was, and I tried to introduce the question that way, like, hey, asking you like as as a former head coach and your experience with special teams. I can't remember exactly how I said it, but people can go, they can go watch the video and you decide just, if I was. You can just say, you can just say, hey, Kevin, Jerry's not giving us any defensive coaches, so you're the best I've got. And I've got to ask somebody about it. And I'm asking you right now, tough nuggies. That's also fair. But I thought he gave a good answer about how it's, it's not really about you can't you can over prepare. And it's more just about discipline and keeping your eyes in the right place. And I thought he was smartly said that if for Purdue, it's not just that they it's not that they do it. It's that they have a real knack for doing it at the right time. So it's just something to keep in the back of your mind Saturday when we eventually see it, because I'm a thousand percent sure that Jeff Brown will have something dialed up. But anyway, to get back to the actual thing we're talking about. So I, I didn't think he answered that question in a way that dissuaded me from the point that you brought up, which is I think it might make more sense just to move Paris Johnson Jr. over because he kind of said there was even a point in the answer where he said. So, yeah, you could move him over. and It would probably be right tackle and not left tackle. So that makes me think is Paris Johnson Jr. slipping in a left tackle once in a while. Like that's definitely the impression I got off of that answer. So I don't know. It's, well, that was interesting. And I mean, the, the point, the point about like, well, they had to do that on Saturday because Dewan Jones got sick before the game. Uh, that actually does not matter to me because it's like, well, who's your backup right tackle? So, and the backup right tackle is Nicholas Petit Frere. Like if Dewan Jones right. can't play, what do you do? Yeah. And they do the thing that they did, which is move Nicholas Petit Frere right back right tackle. They couldn't have it not be that. They could have it be the Paris Johnson slice to right tackle thing. So that's their choice. What do you do when Dewan Jones can't play is something they have to be prepared for. They're prepared for that at every position on the field. If that guy can't play, then what? So that's where I would say, well, my then what is Paris Johnson plays right tackle rather than this thing. Because again, within that answer, it felt like, like you, like you said, it's one of those things. They just, it's however they want to answer. It's well, oh, it's really hard. Oh yeah. It's kind of, It'd be easier. It's like, yeah. So then why don't you do it? Oh, because he's played well, it a lot before. Okay. Well, then I don't know. Steven, I want you to get a chance to chime in, but it, it may also be he he may also be standing up there thinking, don't say that we've tried Paris Johnson Jr. at right tackle and he wasn't as good as he needed to be, that he would be like our fourth best guy. I just don't believe that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not just saying that, that, that's, I'm not, that's I'm not at all. That would be the yeah. most BS answer he could have given to that statement. I'm just no, he wouldn't have said that. That's my point. Yeah, like that's yeah. why. That's why he but might. I have also been don't think it's true. Else. Let's not put that probably out in the universe because yeah, people are going to no. think we think that. We, we, no. we don't think that. No, but we have probably been have the highest old Paris of anybody. They must have a reason. They do. I just, I just am wondering if they're. <laughs> the coaches have a reason. I'm just wondering if they're wrong. Buckeye talk. I mean, like it's one of those things. The highly paid people who who are at the top of their profession must have a reason for doing the thing they're doing. I just wonder if it's wrong. So in the search for 
why is Nicholas Petit Fair not played as well? Um, at least we tried to ask, right? At least we tried to ask. And, um, and we didn't ask, we didn't have follow up with Ryan Day today about what Nicholas Petit Frere's body situation is. Like he said after the game that there was something going on there. We may not get a real answer on that until the next time we talk to Nick Petit Frere. And even then, we may not get a real answer. But is it also possible that they thought we're already a little bit compromised at one tackle? We have to make sure that one of the two tackles is more solid. You know what I mean? Like, so that's why they ended up with, but, but then you'd come back with say, but they did put Dewan Jones uh, uh, barfing back into the game. Here's the only thing that would have made sense at all. The only answer that would have made sense in that situation is you don't, them saying you don't want to put a young guy in that situation when he's been, Repping at right guard all season long, but that, that's the my, only my thing that question, would have made sense. My my question is not why didn't is not why didn't you put Paris Johnson at right tackle? My mm-hmm. question is why is Paris Johnson not repping at right tackle? Like any excuse that's like, well, it's because he doesn't practice there. Then that's my question. Why doesn't he okay. practice there? I'm not acting like they should slide a guard who hasn't played tackle in in two months to tackle. Okay. I'm saying I think I'm wondering if your plan. When Dewan Jones is out of the game, maybe it should be Paris Johnson plays right tackle, which means you should practice it. That's my question. If the answer is we don't practice that, then my my question is, why don't you practice that? Well, because we think Nicholas Petit Fair at right tackle and Fair at left tackle and that, that that's better. Okay. Do you think sliding Nicholas Petit Fair to the right side is having any, any negative impact on him when he goes back to the left side? Because he hasn't played as well the last two weeks. That is the totality of my group of questions that I didn't get to because I was busy asking why CJ Stroud <laughs> doesn't run it 17 times a game. <laughs> Ryan, I don't know if you've noticed, but CJ Stroud uses two initials as his first name. JT Barrett also used two initials and he ran it 18 times a game. And why they're both doesn't the fourth. CJ... And they're both they're both the fourth? Yeah. Coleridge. Stroud, I don't know why it's it's Coleridge, Bernard, Stroud, the fourth. Coleridge, Bernard, Stroud, the fourth. Yeah. I didn't know that. Maybe it's mm-hmm. like a like a Coleridge Jr. kind of thing. So they just yeah. shortened it to CJ, even though it's well, not junior. Usually the like, J. Well, he's right? the fourth. I mean, that's why yeah. everybody's a J. When they're but also, he probably J. just doesn't want people calling him Coleridge. What about CF then? Like Coleridge, the fourth. CF Stroud. might. Ryan, that's asked, <laughs> okay. CJ's okay. going to come out on a Tuesday for the first time, and that's going to be the first question he gets. I think if his name was CB Stroud, he'd have some more NIL opportunities, right? He could do like some some like radio. You know, I think he's doing fine. I think he's doing fine with NIL though. He's oh. got an Outback Steakhouse and a car. If he has a car, yeah, Outback Steakhouse. What does he get for Outback Steakhouse? Like a free steak every week? I don't know him. Him, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson have like a partnership with Outback Steakhouse. Unlimited blooming onions. I thought yeah, you were going to say that he could. She should be CB Stroud because then he'd be CBS. Mm. Ooh, like except we're not in the SEC, and so his games are never going to be on CBS. Well, I when I was at the, I went to Cincinnati on time transfer su- on Sunday for the Browns Bengals <laughs> game, and Romo <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> What did you guys talk about on the podcast? Oh, Nathan floated that uh, CJ Stroud's going to transfer the SEC. <laughs> Paris Johnson sucks, and CJ Stroud's transferring to the SEC. <laughs> then that that is not dash dash Buckeye talk. That is dash dash Nathan Nathan Bear. Bear. That's it. That's your <laughs> that's, that's your T shirt by yourself. The 
uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo got in the same elevator as a bunch of the reporters when we were going down after the game. And Tony Romo had a golf club in his hand, like an iron, like a pitching wedge, just like walking down the concourse like it was a walking stick. Have you ever seen a person? He was at work. He was at his job carrying a golf club. Have you ever seen someone carry a golf club through their workday? Well, I don't play golf, but I know people who do. And some of them are lunatics. Like I, you guys know what I mean. Like people who are like really into golf. Sometimes it, they go over the bend. He is very so, into golf. So that might be happening there. I don't know. Like he, he just has to, or maybe it's like, you know, when, when you're in, it's like the old football thing from like the program where like you have to carry the ball. And if anybody knocks it out of your hand, then it, so maybe he's just switched that over to golf. Like he's just always got to have a, a club in his hand. And if someone knocks out of his hand and he's, he's fumbled, he's he, there's penalties. I thought you were trying to get an NIL NIL deal. It was like, I don't play golf, but I know people who do. And then you said, and they're lunatics. And it was like, okay, I guess he's not going for an ad here. All right. Last quick break. We'll be back on Buckeye Talk. We'll take a review if you got it at Apple Podcasts. We'll take your eyeballs at cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Always grateful for that. 614-350-3315 for the podcast. And, oh, I want to remind you guys, this other podcast that our friends at Penn Live are doing, just like a different kind of podcast. Listen, like everybody likes different kinds of podcasts. I actually kind of like the sit around and yammer podcast. I don't know if uh, you guys have noticed that because that's what we do on Buckeye talk. We we have done some of the versions of Buckeye talk, you know, where you, you dive in deeper on stuff, but some people really like that narrative podcast stuff, right? That you listen to Buckeye talk, a bunch of guys yammer. And then you think sometimes, yeah, Hey, like I want, sort of some storytelling there. Well, if you like that at all, the mayor of Maple Avenue is a new podcast from our friends at Penn live. You can just, wherever you listen to Buckeye talk, just put in the mayor of Maple Avenue. It's about um, one of the victims of Jerry Sandusky a decade ago and sort of the outcome of that. Um, It was written and it's hosted by Sarah Ganim, who sort of broke all these stories for the Harrisburg Patriot news back in the day. It's sort of, it's, it's about a lot of times. I think what the point they're making here is when something terrible like this happens, um, we, we can focus on making sure the bad guys are prosecuted and put away, which has happened with Jerry Sandusky, but like what happened to the people that were the victims here, right? Is, is, is society, doing enough to help them out and not just focusing on punishing the abusers. So that's what this podcast, the mayor of Maple Avenue is kind of about. Obviously it's, it springs from football, but it's kind of a bigger picture. Look, you know, again, very different than a podcast like Buckeye talk, but sometimes when I'm on, when I'm on the long drive, right. If you're in the car for a couple hours, I, I still want to settle in with like a, a serious sort of storytelling podcast like that. So I think this would be a good opportunity for you guys who like that kind of stuff. The mayor of Maple Avenue. All right. Honestly, I don't really have anything else. Oh, I left because I wanted to watch some more film uh, on my laptop when Noah Ruggles and Marcus Williamson came into the room. Um, Those are the two players we got on Tuesday. What's the most interesting stuff that Noah Ruggles and or Marcus Williamson said on Tuesday, Nathan? I asked Noah Ruggles because he's from Florida. 
and kicked in North Carolina. Like, hey, what are you going to do about this winter? And he said that he does have some experience with it. He mentioned kicking in a couple of road games at Pitt that were pretty cold. And he actually thought he had two of his better kicking games there. It's just a matter of keeping yourself loose on the sideline. And um, I asked, you know, he's his career long is 49. He's been asked to kick longer than 50 in the past, has not made one, has not been asked to do that yet at Ohio State. He said he's made up to 56 in practice and that he has he does kick from 50 or beyond in every practice session he does. So I just think that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I know that as his star gets a little bit brighter uh, as kickers go and he's starting to get some more attention, you know, he he's up front that he was late to this. He was a soccer guy for a long time before he switched over to kicking, but you know, getting to the NFL has been his goal all along. And I think that just as a competitor, I'm sure he probably wants to get up there at some point and get that first one with a five in front of it to add some credibility to his, his kicking game. And Steven, he was also talking a little bit about something I thought you found interesting was just his, the way his routine has changed between what it was at North Carolina and how they ask him to be an athlete here at Ohio state. Yeah. So he was 19 to 27 in 2019 when he kicked for North Carolina, which is, I mean, it's okay. But he said that North Carolina, he pretty much kicked every day. And he kind of felt that by the time he got the game day, that kind of wears on you a little bit, having to put that much physical strain on your body because you're kicking every single day. Apparently, the kickers only kick twice a week at Ohio State. And then the other times, he's just helping out the punters with their whatever they're doing and whatnot because obviously special teams has their own little practice things that they do. And he says he's really seen that, you know, have a positive impact on his game because he's a little fresher by the time we get to game time, which is why he's 15 and 15 so far for Ohio state this year, including, you know, he's eight, made eight the last two games when they've really needed him is he's seen that show up. He's a lot fresher because he's not putting as much strain on his body. And he really noticed it back when he first went into the portal and he was just kind of working out on his own. He said he would only kick three times a week. And so he would see that kind of pay off. And yeah, he's that's the biggest difference he sees from, Practicing with Ohio State versus practicing from North Carolina is because of how they do things here. He's a lot more fresher on game day, which has been a good thing for him. Why is he here? Because he lost his job at North Carolina. He Why told he me Ohio State instead of other places. Why wouldn't you? Oh, no, 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 no. He, that, there's a real story behind that. So he when he went into the portal, obviously with kickers, it's different. You've got to, there's got to be a spot available for you. And so he was in contact with some other schools, but they ended up filling that spot or they just didn't have the necessarily amount, the, the necessary amount of scholarships to put him on scholarship. And then April or late April, early May, Parker Fleming reached out to him and they got, kind of built a relationship. And then June 1st, the first day that people could be on campuses, he got here for a workout and Parker Fleming really liked him. And so they offered him and he transferred to Ohio State. Okay. It's just interesting. This is like a, this is, I can't remember. I, I, I can't remember the guy's name. Jake Seibert was the number one kicker in the country and they have him on the roster and he's already lost his spot to Noah yeah. Ruggles. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. No, I know because, because that happened with Sean Nurnberger too, that mm-hmm. he was here for a long time, but they brought in a transfer the one year from, I can't remember where, and he was the kicker. And so it's just interesting that, um, this has happened a couple times at Ohio State. It's just, I mean, it's like, hey, who's your kicker? I don't know. The guy who lost his job at North Carolina. It's like, okay, cool. And but he's uh, he's been awesome. But like, yeah. I it's been kind of a lucky find for Ohio State. But again, that's the portal world now. And he was like, like Stephen said, he was 
fine at North Carolina. He wasn't great. And I wrote about that kind of extensively coming into the year that was like, maybe don't expect this guy to be a savior, but he's just somebody to kind of bring some stability to this room. And he's, I think, obviously gone a, a step above that. But he told me when we, the first time we talked to him this year after a practice, and I kind of pulled him aside. And he said that there was no really kicking competition at North Carolina when he lost his job. It wasn't like they were halfway into the year and those guys were switching off and they just, the other guy, he was doing poorly and they let the other guy kick. Like the way he talked about it, Mac Brown just kind of decided we're bringing in this transfer and it's his job. And the guy was an All-American at, at the FCS level, I think at Furman. So whatever. But um, he was asked today, Ruggles was asked today because he's here as a grad transfer, but he has two years of eligibility. He was asked, are you going to be back next year? And he said, no decision yet. Okay. If he wants to make it in the NFL, he's got to start kicking 50-yard field goals. Yes. So your range needs to go beyond 56 if you're going to do it for money. So, yes. um, okay. Anything from Marcus Williamson other than the fact that Marcus Williamson is now like the fifth most important player on the defense? Like how are we in this? How has anything come more full circle than an <laughs> off-season of, hey – they can't bring back this same secondary and expect to get better. For instance, you've got to upgrade from Marcus Williamson to guys like Lathan Ransom and Cam Martinez. And now Cam Martinez played in one game was like, wow, Cam Martinez is going to change the world. He never plays anymore. He ne- Is he hurt? He never- He's not even at cover safety right now. He, he never second- plays. He was second team free safety when they were warming up before the game. And I asked Kerry Combs about that, about where he was. And he said they were moving around a lot of guys right now, which is, and, yeah, he went from like having a pick six and basically looking like the guy who should just be the cover safety to now he's the second string free safety. And Lathan Ransom, it's like, wait until Lathan Ransom gets out there. That will solve anything. And it's like, what's the number one thing that went wrong? On Saturday, defensively, it's like, I don't know. Lathan Ransom got beat a couple times. And again, the coaches said, whatever. He's in single coverage in the slot against the guy from Montana, Toure, who's turns out to be quite a good receiver. So That's I get it. Job. I get it, right? But the, the idea that it's like, oh, they've act- it's actually back around to like, I'm not so sure Marcus Williamson should ever come off the field. Because the thing, but he starts now, but they do put in Ransom pretty early. And it feels like Ransom will be out there for back-to-back series. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, what happens? Like, I don't know. But the guy he was covering just went 70 yards. And then it's like Marcus Williamson comes back in, and then that doesn't happen anymore. So, like, I I can't honestly that it has come back to how important Marcus Williamson is here and not because of injury. It's just because the older guy that was primed to be replaced by more talented younger guys – seems, am I wrong, Nathan? Seems to be playing at a higher level than anybody else, at least on a consistent basis, that they've trotted out there cover safety. Yeah, I think we've, as we discussed before, I think his stability against the run is probably a factor here, that it's not just all coverage, and that what made Sean Wade a tremendous cover safety, if people can remember when he was a tremendous cover safety, slot corner, as it was called at the time, feel like it's like prince it's like now he's now we've got this symbol but it used to be but um that he was fantastic against the run like he was such a hard-nosed guy coming up and just smacking guys at the line of scrimmage 
stuff was getting choked off all the time. And part of that was because he knew the guys behind him really had his back. But I think part of it was just him doing his job and stepping up and doing that. And then Marcus Williamson, I'm not comparing him to 2019 level Sean Wade cover safety slot corner, whatever. I'm not. But I think he has a little bit of that element in him that supersedes the what we might think of being the ceiling of some of these other guys as coverage guys. We, we're just comparing him to like pretty high level, do your job guy. And that seems to be what Marcus Williamson is right now. So congrats to him. And he's become really, really valuable to this defense. All right. So we're not going to just talk about CJ Stroud running the ball. And we're not just going to talk about George Karloftis and David Bell all week. We'll have some fun on the Thursday pod. We got to lighten it up a little bit. Five days of football is that's a lot of football, man. Woo, boy, that's a lot of football. So we don't need to dig in that hard. We appreciate you guys being part of it. We will um, maybe do some true false, maybe do some more texture questions. We still have a bunch of stuff left over from the last time we made uh, calls out for that. So for now, for Nathan Baird and for Stephen Means, I'm Douglas Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.